Hello and welcome back to the From Page to Picture podcast where we take you page by page and scene by scene through the movie adaptations of all your favourite books. We are your hosts Lucy and George and this is episode six where we will be talking about Perks Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky. Perks of Being a Wallflower is a coming of age tale about shy teenager Charlie as he tries to navigate high school for the first time. Helped by more extroverted seniors, Sam and Patrick, we see Charlie blossom into a beautiful young wallflower of his own through the letters he writes. A forewarning, we will be discussing themes of sexual assault, trauma, suicide, domestic abuse and homophobia during this episode. Stephen Chwelski's debut novel, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, was published in 1999 by Pocket Books. It instantly became a New York Times bestseller with 100,000 copies in print as of 2000 and has subsequently been included on school reading lists and gathered a large fan base. By 2012, the novel has, had been published in 16 countries and in 13 languages, reaching fame to next levels that Chbosky aspired to adapt his book into a film, calling this a lifelong dream of his. Running for a screen time of 1 hour 45, Chwelski wrote and directed the novel's adaptation, casting Logan Lerman as the main character Charlie, Emma Watson as Sam, and Ezra Miller as Patrick. The film grossed over $33 million worldwide from a $13 million production budget, and it is an amazing 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Both book and film have become a huge part of coming-of-age culture, so I'm curious, George, what did you think of the book, and do you think the film lived up to its source material? I definitely think it lived up to its source material. I thought the characters are beautifully well cast. It doesn't lose any of its the book's charm. I initially watched the film. I then read the book sometime after that. And then for this, I read the book and then watched the film again. And I've watched the film a few more times in between that. And every time, be it the book or the film, I've absolutely loved it. I've resonated with Charlie as a character. I've enjoyed watching... Patrick's witty banter and uh, Sam's strongness in the film in the book maybe not so much in the film but it's just it's it's one of my favorites what about you yeah I think the film definitely keeps all of the important moments that you've grown to love and kind of relate to and resonate with in the book and it shows us if anything it shows us more about our favorite side characters in the film that we don't really get in the book like Patrick and like um, Charlie's teacher Bill um, and even Sam I guess like Sam's not given much page time in the book but she gets to shine in the film through Emma Watson and I think I did the same as you I watched the film and then I read the book like a few years later and then I've constantly gone back to the film I've not really gone back to the book but I think both are just so wholesome and have some really good vibes in them that they both, the film does a really good job of adapting it. Mm. What you said about how you've gone back and watched the film a lot but not really the book, I've I've been the same and I think in part of that's because while well, the style of the book is, is quite easy to read and you can read a letter from Charlie and it's Chabotsky did a really amazing job of writing it in the way in which a gifted teenager would write and it's, it's really it's, it's enjoyable to read it's not like a J.I. or Tolkien or a Jane Austen it's really just a fun read but at the same time the content is quite difficult to read and it's quite difficult to like, well, not difficult to stay engaged it's just very like emo- it rips your emotions raw a bit especially by the end yeah I definitely agree with that I find that although the film does make me cry every single time I watch it even though I know what's coming and I know what to expect I do think that the book it hurts a lot more when you're reading it and I think you struggle to actually read the next lines and the next chapters in a way when you're watching the film it's it's just oh well it's okay, this will pass. We will get on to the next scene in the film. Um, and I think you're right in that Chabosky's really, really talented in the way that he writes because he takes on the perspective of this teenager who isn't very good at English to begin with because he gets bad marks from his teacher, but he makes him relatable through his letters and he takes on this young adult voice that teenagers, when they're reading this book, can relate to. Uh, what you said about it being hard for a, to keep reading the line and flip the page, I think that's kind of a... A really good example of how books and films can differ from each other. A film is definitely more of a passive experience in a book because a book you have to force yourself to move down the page and turn the page and whereas a film you could just sort of like sit there and just look at the screen and it does everything for you. 
it visualizes all of the story whereas you you have to visualize it for yourself in the book and i feel like that's what makes charlie's story that much more intimate for you in the book because everything in that in the book is and in the film it uses fake names so patrick isn't patrick charlie isn't charlie sam isn't sam his teacher isn't his teacher even the town he lives in isn't his town and the letters are directed to you well, well, it's not you specifically, it's to someone, but like this is your story at the same time. And it's really makes you feel really a part of the story, which is what I quite like about books like this, like when they're written in like a letter-based format. And I think it's a really interesting flip from last episode's Gone Girl with the quite creepy letters from Amy to the quite sweet and emotional letters from Charlie because he makes us feel like we're wallflowers as well yeah it's very intimate and I think reading it growing up as well because this is a book that is aimed at young adults rather than people who are already grown up you you grow alongside Charlie and I think for me especially like and I kind of felt what Charlie felt going into schools as a as a child and especially in terms of making friends and feeling as anxious as Charlie does. And I think that's why the book kind of feels so personal and so hard to read sometimes going back to it. Now I'm kind of, you know, like 22, that it's, this is how I felt. This is how I, how I was when I was younger. Um, whereas I think you're right in that when you watch the film, if, if you don't want to experience that personal level, you can just not look at the screen that time or you can you know you can just fade out and ignore it whereas books are much more like I read at night so it's quiet and it's intimate yeah it's it's just you and the, the page and you're just reading it line by line and experiencing what it's wanting you to experience because you can't I guess to some extent you can just kind of read it but not really process it but then you kind of get confused with the story and I guess to an extent that is what happens with a film when you're watching it but it's definitely controversial but it's easier to watch a film than read a book yeah I think like the fact it's in letter format is really interesting because usually when you think of how that will be adapted to the film you wouldn't think that it would work but I think what Chabosky does really well as a director is that he only uses the like he uses the letters but in voiceover but he only uses the voiceover when it's due in large montages and he lets the movie kind of breathe following major plot points without the excessiveness of dear friend love always charlie and i think that works to kind of fast forward through the weeks and the months to keep the books like year-long timeline moving forward but still kind of still offer that intimacy through logan lerman's voiceover yeah in is it kind of in contrast to when we did uh, the goldfinch because that had the voiceover if i remember correctly and that felt kind of cheaty in a way because it's just they couldn't be bothered to describe a certain thing so they do it to a narrator and that happens in a bunch of different stories and it kind of comes across as a bit lazy but here it adds the extra layer of the book to the film because you can just watch and not really listen to his voiceover and just watch what's happening for yourself and kind of interpret it how you want to but then you can add the lens of charlie's letter and then you get an entire different experience for it yeah, it's it's really a testament to Schwarzky's skill as a director. And I do think like, on that point, it's really interesting how like last episode we had Gillian Flynn who wrote the screenplay, but she didn't direct it. We had David Fincher, whereas here we have the author both writing the screenplay and directing it. And I think whereas it works in a way because of the long distance between 1999 when the book was published and 2012 when the film comes out so it's like he gets that second chance to make his novel even better and more relevant and more coming of age in a way that that Gillian Flynn didn't really need in Gone Girl um but then at the same time I think it's almost a double-edged sword in that does he become too close to the source material to adapt it or is it something good because no one knows the story better than the person who wrote it like it's his vision he knows exactly how it goes in his head and we we get to see the throughout the film just how much this vision really matters to him and how it comes alive yeah it's purely Chabosky's vision like it's entirely what he wants he wants it to be and He's had that 12-year gap to analyse and listen to what the community said around his book. He's gained such a huge community and embrace what they love about it and develop it in a way which 
does service to his own work and the 20 the uh, 1999 version of himself and this version of himself and i think that's super important to who he is and it's he did a really great job of not just making a great film but making a great film for his work and showing that he he can really do whatever he wants when he puts his mind to it yeah i think that definitely shows in the visual representation as well on screen like he does such a good job of turning what he written and the visions that he ran into visuals that work like the scene where they go into the tunnel visually is beautiful and probably one of my favorite scenes in cinema and he gets like he gets the music he gets the wind he gets the speed all combining for that particular like teenage euphoria at the endless possibilities of life and this this what charlie speaks of feeling infinite that we get it in the book and it's emotional when he ends that chapter saying i feel infinite but it's so much more powerful like through the visual representation yeah in the book like you said he ends it saying i feel infinite and then sam and patrick just start whooping saying that's the best thing ever and in it to an extent that kind of ruins the moment that they're addressing the way he said it and I think that's the example of where Tversky's learned from his mistake is in the film, Sam and Patrick just smile at each other and embrace the moment full, fully fledged. And I think that's really amazing. And fun fact, I might as well throw that in now. Uh, the Tunnel Song, which is Heroes by David Bowie, was covered in 1998's Godzilla film by none other than the Wallflowers, which I thought oh. was an interesting loop around. Oh, that's such a nice back-like kind of reference to the film. That's really interesting. Although I am sad because, like, they change it, don't they? It's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's Fleetwood Mac in the book and then they change it to Heroes in the film. And I do think that's one of the changes that always gets to me because it's the song that it's meant to be. I'm pretty sure it's meant to be slow, whereas Heroes is very upbeat song. And that kind of change that's a massive change but I think that links back to what you said in that Chabosky realized that this that this is a much more bigger moment than he written it to be back in 1999. Yeah I think in the book he portrays it as this kind of quiet moment with this quiet is this is a long still moment which I can enjoy and be calm in Whereas in the film, it's portrayed as this explosive drive of fun and young adultery and just enjoyment, which, while it may not last forever, he feels like it will last forever. And that's what excites him the most. It's so nostalgic. Also, like just on music and facts and music, the soundtrack in this film is literally the best soundtrack I've ever encountered. Like it has that indie chill vibes like that you'd want in a road trip but then it has come on Eileen and it's like yeah just get up and dance like this is the best moment you're ever going to experience as a teenager. While the emotional points in this film really do hit hard but it's such a feel-good film at times as well and it's just like I wish to be an American boy in a little small town just having fun with my friends. Yeah it's, I think one of my favourite moments is that moment at the dance where they're dancing and they, they don't care. They don't care who's watching them. They, they're free and they're just, they're just having fun. I think that's all about what childhood's right, like about and what really matters when you're a teenager, just living in the moment and taking each moment as it comes. And that links back to the whole I feel infinite, just enjoying the moment and not thinking about the next one. Yeah. And I think the whole thing you said about nostalgic music really links back to a part of the film which I really, really enjoyed. And it's the kind of colour palette they have. It's got this kind of tone over it, which makes you feel like an old photo, like a like an 80s. And it's just, it, it just very vibey. And I just really love just watching the film. Well, maybe the cinematography wasn't something to call home about all the time, but it was just a very home video recorder vibes and it's just very relatable in that way. Yeah, I think that comes across in the props as well. Like we have Sam give Charlie the typewriter and we have these mixtapes that are all very 90s vibes, but it's, again, these nostalgic moments that these these props and items matter to these people like at one point Charlie gives his books that he's read throughout the whole throughout the whole school year to Sam and I think that's it's this idea that these moments and these items in their lives have meaning that in a way is really really wholesome in the way that the perks of being a wallflower book and film has become a prop in and of itself 
that has meaning to people who has read it, who have read it and who have watched it. When you think of a mixtape, Perks of Being a Wallflower is one of the first things you will think about. It's kind of cemented itself as a classic already. And yeah. I, I will continue to keep reading it when I grow older. Yeah, like Perks of Being a Wallflower was the film that made me get my own typewriter. Like I remember watching it and thinking, I want a typewriter. And then I put that on my birthday list and I have a typewriter now. So I am now Charlie. It's very on brand for you to have a typewriter. (laughs) I think one thing the film really, really does well is the casting. So like Logan Lerman perfectly encapsulates this awkward, anxious teen that literally embodies everything about teenagers as a child like he's so wholesome when you're watching him just like awkwardly walk over to Sam and Patrick being like can I join or like awkwardly walk from the wall into the dance like he he perfectly encapsulates Charlie from the book yeah Logan Lerman is the definitive Charlie like I see so much of my own childhood anxiety through him and it's just this is me pretty much and it's it's so good he's he but the way he kind of avoids eye contact he's quite timid but then he also has a so so it's like creative power behind him and uh his teacher sees it who's amazingly played by Paul Rudd Paul Rudd please teach me English literature I will (laughs) love you forever it's and it's just the way he's like at the end where in the book I'm sorry I didn't make it into the film where he's having dinner with the teacher and his wife and they're just saying Charlie you're an amazing person and I can't wait to see what you do and I'm like that's so beautiful for someone to actually tell Charlie that and yeah it's just oh goosebumps I think Paul Rudd is the perfect Bill as well like first of all he's a dilf so he's literally one of the best looking characters that you'd want if you want to study English literature but also I think he he becomes the father figure that Charlie doesn't really have with his own father um, because they connect over these books and because he creates that spark in Charlie that he doesn't really get from his family. And like that dinner scene, I remember crying my eyes out when I reread this because I just thought that's so special for someone who's so struggling in life to just hear that they're proud of them and that they're special. And that I just really wish that was in the film because I think that would have had a huge impact on any viewer that watches it. It's a perfect example of how you don't have to have bad parents who say mean things to you or abuse you, and to not still want to have uh, people compliment you or say thank you for doing a job or say really, really well done on this. Is Everyone loves having a, being told good job, and while it's no fault of that, the parent for like, oh, I forgot to say that, or I didn't say that. It's just nice to take the time to look at your kid or look at your parent and say, good job, I love you. Yeah, I think as well, like, what I get from Charlie's family is that they're very much have their own interests. Like, we see in the book that Charlie tries to watch hockey with his dad, but his dad doesn't like him there because he asks questions. And then, like, he'll go and help his mum in the kitchen but then his mum's like Charlie go read a book and I think the character of Bill is that character where Charlie can really find out who he truly is from reading and from writing these essays and I think it's just something really special as well when he says to him like yeah it's summer but you can still be in touch with me like I'm not going anywhere like I'm here for you and there's such a special relationship that I think everyone wants in their life. It's probably like a it's a highlight of most people's experience with the film and book where uh, Bill is talking about we accept the love that we think we deserve and it's kind of an awkward conversation because Charlie's telling a bit too much about his personal life to his teacher but Bill never says Charlie stop this is getting a bit weird I mean I assume he would stop if it did get really really weird but yeah. he's not saying no go talk to someone else like his family would he's having a conversation with him like he's a normal person and I think that's a great example of how teachers can be really good yeah I love that quote like it's famous like it's become famous it's probably tattooed on many people but it's it's literally encapsulates the entire film right like all of these wallflowers don't really accept the love that they do deserve like Charlie always does everything for everyone else Sam literally puts herself in some of the worst relationships like Craig's an absolute asshole Patrick will literally go to the ends of secrecy just so he can have some kind of love with Brad who 
literally doesn't deserve Patrick and I think builds that character that unites them all in that one quote although I do have one thing I kind of hate about Bill and it's I like it's good for sacrilegious (laughs) I know if Paul Wood heard this if um I think it's good because he's a teacher right and he's got responsibility but like it really hurts when Bill goes to Charlie's parents about Charlie's sister and it's the right thing to do to tell the parents that your daughter's been hit by his her boyfriend but it almost feels like a betrayal of trust between Bill and Charlie that then when his sister has the abortion and she tells him don't tell Bill she almost comes between their relationship because of that betrayal of trust I do agree with you but at the same time there isn't anything Bill could have done because he's a he's a professional thing and this student just told him this one thing about I assume he teaches Charlie's sister something else somewhere so it's his his job and he clearly his cares don't just encapsulate Charlie which I think is a really important thing like a lot of books seem to just be like protagonist, protagonist, protagonist from the uh, the teach. So it's really important that he isn't solely putting interest and support on Charlie. He's giving it to everyone. The whole thing he said about we accept the love we think we deserve and we think of Sam and Patrick. He's thinking about everybody. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially because this book is primarily written through the perspective of Charlie all of these characters are portrayed through Charlie's eyes through the letter format and I think one thing the the film does a really good job of is that it gets away from Charlie's gaze and gives that gaze to Bill or to the likes of Sam and Patrick and makes them more of a central part of the story and even just by observing like Charlie interacting with Bill or Charlie interacting with Sam at the lunch table it's much more like okay we see every single character in the film and we see them interact which we don't really get in the book because it's Charlie's voice always Charlie's voice into the letters yeah definitely because in the book we're kind of restricted to this a5 window of Charlie's world and we can't really truly experience other people's thoughts and feelings which is why I kind of Unlike things like the whole uh, President Snow from Hunger Games book or the weird Twilight book from Edward's perspective, I would actually really enjoy more books about Patrick or Sam's perspective of Charlie. Because I want, because Charlie is someone we love and Charlie doesn't know we love him. And I really just want someone else's perspective to show that they love Charlie and they're just, he's getting the support he deserves. Yeah, I think that would be a really good idea for like sequels. Um, so long as they, well, not so much sequels, obviously, they'd be set at the same time, but as long as they don't kind of just repeat the same plot points from the perspective, because I've heard that that's what kind of Edward's perspective does in the Midnight Sun. It just repeats the same plots, but from a different voice. I think it'd be good to kind of see Sam's perspective of Charlie but also at the same time have Sam's voice when she heard about Craig cheating on her or like Patrick's voice when he found out about Brad and how he felt when Brad was ignoring him and everything I think that would be really interesting to see and explore and I think especially with Patrick that's like an amazing opportunity to explore being a part of the LGBTQ while at school and that there's like such a huge issue trying to love someone who can't love themselves which is the the entire thing with uh, is it brad his secret boyfriend like he wants to love patrick but his father's telling him this one thing and he's too stuck stuck in that way and it's quite tragic for brad as a person i think the book definitely in my opinion does a better job of exploring brad and patrick's relationship and and looking at actually what happens because in the film i think we we just we see Charlie walking on them at the party and then we see Patrick say oh well his his dad's homophobic so we have to keep it a secret and obviously he's a jock so there's the the stigma surrounding that and then it just kind of cuts to the bit where they got caught and then Brad ignores Patrick and Patrick spirals whereas I think in the book they have a lot more detail in how things got to where they were and how toxic the relationship actually was as well especially that in the book we get Patrick kissing Charlie every single night before he goes home when Charlie spends time with him and this that is seen in the film in one in one moment but it's not really placed focus on in the way that the book does and just how toxic and how dangerous that kind of relationship can spiral 
Yeah, definitely. Because in the film, it seems Charlie isn't a hundred percent sure what's going on with their relationship from the perspective we have from him. And as we as the audience, if you haven't read the book, we don't really know much about what's going on with them. Whereas in the book, Brad and Patrick are very at the start. It seems they're quite close-ish, and it doesn't occasionally at parties. Brad hang out with them and stuff, and he's like, okay, yeah, they're quite nice. He could be a wallflower, but then. It's almost as if his the way his family is and the way he really is is that wallflower being ripped out of the wall. That's interesting. Yeah, even even when we see Brad at the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and you think in his costume as is he a basketball player or a football player, and you think this is so out of place, like this very queer staging of these male actors in like dresses exploring their freedom, their gender. And then there's Brad, who is very much brought up as a conservative figure in the audience. And you think he is a wallflower. He's just not allowed to be a wallflower. And that's quite sad. I think it would be really interesting for Chabotsky in a sequel not to just focus on the more, I I don't want to say irregular, but atypical kind of people who don't fit the norm standards of like the the job, like of the nerd or the... the, golf but like someone who outwardly may experience show themselves as a cheerleader or a football player but really have like an emotional difference within them and have the ability to not judging a book by its cover i think you're right in that chabowski does a really good job of exploring these characters that you don't really see depicted in film and and book um in that we get this really sensitive and this really, really interesting exploration of male mental health. I think the book does it better in that we get to see Charlie's kind of isolation and his anxiety before his friendship with Sam and Patrick. But I think both book and film do a really good job of creating an intimate and personal and again, times hard to read depiction of a boy who is struggling with his emotions, but probably feels like he can't struggle with them because of the expectations placed on his gender. Exactly. I think one of the biggest things I felt while I was reading this book and kind of contrasted previous times I've read it or watched the film is the way I realised how big of a factor men's mental health was in it. Like Charlie's entire art going from we accept the love we think we deserve and his relationship with his aunt and everything like that and then Patrick's life how he doesn't think he deserves the love he wants he he kind of bottles up his emotions to some extent or he he doesn't vent them in the correct way he he goes to the park with Charlie he kisses Charlie and then it's at the, at the very end uh, Charlie's dad I think that's the perfect way of showing Charlie's going to start to heal because Charlie's dad starts to show the emotion Charlie needs to be showing other people. And I think that is in part one of the many catalysts of Charlie's downcline towards the end of the book, because like you said, he tries to watch the hockey of his dad. His his dad says, no, about when they're watching MASH, is it? And he's like, don't tell them I'm crying. It's not really what I want them to know. And he's like, okay, if my dad's like this, I should be, I can't let them know that I'm not doing okay. It it's really should be emphasised how important that Stephen Chbosky doubled down on this whole idea that, yes, men have mental health. Yes, men can be sexually assaulted. Yes, men have this interior beyond this rough exterior, which you need to give time to grow. Yeah, 100%. Like, Perks Me and a Wildflower is one of those books which expresses the feelings and the insecurities and the struggles that I think every single person has felt but we've never really understood them until we watched that film and or until we read them through Charlie's perspective and I think Chbosky does a really good job of giving kind of a, a disarming earnestness to each of the male characters that kind of wins us over as readers but also wins over the other characters Um, I think one of the most important moments for me in the book was the hospital scenes where we get to see him speak to his siblings especially his brother and kind of say oh well did did the sexual assault happen to you and when they say no it's kind of like okay then why why me and I think that's really important to have that conversation with your siblings about the struggles that you've gone through and Jawazi also does a really good job of doing it in the film where his brother comes back and there's the table they're sat at the table and he says if you need any help if you start to see things like I'm here, you can talk to Candice. And it's it's the explicitness of it that really 
makes it such a standout film for male mental health. Yeah, that one scene of him talking to his brother was like really big when I rewatched it because I was like, I haven't really seen this openness in a guy talking to another guy. And it's not like there's anyone else in the room. It's not like his girlfriend was like, go talk to your brother. He seems a bit down. He literally went of his own volition. They were just sat there. He was here and he's like, hey, Charlie, if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. And it's not like he's like, Charlie, let's go into a dark room. Let's talk about it behind closed doors. He was just casually eating his food. And he's like, yes, men's mental health is a normal thing. Let's talk about it, Charlie. I'm here for you. You're here for me. I love you, Charlie. It's really inspirational. But then on the flip side, I am kind of disappointed that the film lacked the intimate and personal relationship between Charlie and his sister that's in the book. We only kind of see her through the eyes of Ponytail Derek and the relationship with Ponytail Derek. Um, And obviously, Trubowski removes the part where she's pregnant and Charlie goes with her for the abortion um, that's in the book. I think by including that, it would have just as well shown how these siblings can communicate with each other in a way that's open and a way that's that's right, that nothing can be hidden from your family and that's good sometimes. Uh, I, I, I can agree with you, but then sometimes I feel the book does fall short of the film in ways like, I feel one of the bits of the film which has always stuck out to me is at the very end when Charlie has reached breaking point and he calls Candice and he's like, I killed Aunt Helen, didn't I? And just the look on her face, the acting is amazing. Just the sheer terror. And it's like, he's, yes, they haven't really talked to each other throughout the film. It's just the instant, like, she loves him. She wants him to be okay. And it, they're going to do this. And I don't know if it was because I didn't really read into it as much as I should. The whole pregnancy really only acted as a, a kind of a conflict between Bill and Charlie more than anything for me, because they don't really address it, in part because... Candace tells him not to talk about it but and it shows their love for each other but it didn't really have the same impact for me I guess. I think for me the pregnancy kind of became the moment where Charlie took on control and took on responsibility in a way that he hadn't for the rest of the book. He came into himself and he acted when it was right and he acted in a way that was not just for his own kind of you know I'm, I want to I, I like Sam I, like I, I love Patrick these are my friends that will help me feel better he did it for Candace and he did it for his family and I think it was such an important moment to see Charlie kind of take control Charlie's been a passive help he's like it's like oh yeah I'll dress up for a Rocky Horror Picture or oh I'll let you kiss me Patrick or I'll I'll do this I'll do that I'll get into a relationship with uh, Mary Jane or is it I don't remember her name. Uh, but here he's actively helping someone and I think that's Charlie at his best because he's He's not doing what he thinks people want him to do. He's doing what he wants to do to help this person. And it also adds to the whole bit of sex being a really prominent part of this book and film. Yeah, Yeah, I kind of, how they deal with sex in the film kind of was really uncomfortable for me. Um, The scene specifically when Sam is stroking Charlie's thigh and that's when he gets the realisation that he'd been sexually assaulted in the past by his aunt. It was really uncomfortable to watch, whereas in the book, it's not as uncomfortable, I don't think, because there are it's less that she's stroking his fire more that they're actually engaging in like kissing and then about to have sex that he has his freak out as so in a way although it's explicit it was kind of too explicit if that's if that's okay to say I guess I I do get I mean I'm not sure if this is the right way for me to say it but it kind of felt the film was a bit too on the nose Mm. and in the book it's a really good depiction of trauma and how it can anything can trigger it and it's not like this is a certain action which perfectly imitated the action of his aunt when he was sexually assaulting him. It's him, just anything similar to that, and it's and it's a trigger for him, and it's and it just instantly changes the entire mood of the scene. And, it, and I think in part Emma Watson's delivery of like what's wrong, Charlie, still felt too intimate to the moment. Like in the book, like it changed from being this emotional scene between two people who love each other to instantly. Sam's worrying about Charlie, we're worrying about Charlie. Charlie's not there at the moment. He's in his own mind and we need to help him. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think the book has Charlie kind of trying to understand that event while the film reveals it and then it's what's wrong and then it just simply like switches to them 
getting Sam ready in the car to move. Um, and you can obviously see that Charlie's fully distressed, whereas in the book, he goes to sleep and then he kind of gets the time to think about the event and understand the event that's much more triggering for him. And the book also kind of gives us a lot more inf- information about how his aunt was molested by her father at a young age. And during the movie, like, it's suggested that she, like, she she was, but we get more information about her life and her to actually draw those connections between Charlie and his aunt that the film just doesn't include and in that way it just feels kind of doesn't feel out of place because Charlie and himself is definitely dealing with something throughout the whole film it just feels kind of rushed yeah I do get what you mean uh when I first was reading the book and it got to the bit when it was real that Charlie was sexually so I was completely surprised because I've read this book I've watched this film loads of times and I hadn't matured enough to fully process what had happened to Charlie. And I guess in part was to the whole thing that previously in fiction and obviously non-fiction, most of the sexual assault I've heard about or come across in media has been on a woman from a man. And it's never been on a, on a man from a woman. And that obviously uh, women's sexual assault, it's a huge problem and it is mentioned in this film through the aunt Ellen and also Sam from her dad's boss or yeah. something like that. And I felt it's really important. Uh, Jabotsky does mention other people. The whole realisation of it dawning on Charlie was really good to include then and it did work better in the book. And it, he did a really good job of making it not feel like a cheap twist. It, it made sense in hindsight and it really emphasised the tragedy of not just Charlie's life, but people like Sam and his aunt. Yeah, it's even more heartbreaking when you realise just how much Charlie worships his aunt. I feel like Charlie feels that his aunt was the only person he really felt that he could talk to. And he even says, like, my aunt was the only person that would hug me. He'd never hugged his sister before. And and then he blames himself for her, her death because she was going out to buy him a birthday present. And that's when she got in the accident. I think that's by having that twist at the end in the book. It's really heartbreaking as reader to actually understand when all the rest of the book you've been like oh they had such a close relationship like Charlie must really miss his aunt and then it's like a bit of a problematic relationship it really just goes back to that line we accept the love we think we deserve his aunt does not deserve him but he thinks he deserves his aunt it's just a really emotional twist and it really solidifies how we can hold someone on a pedestal and they will nine times out of ten not live up to that and you need to kind of come to terms with that and embrace who you are yourself. Yeah, and that goes back to the end of the film and the book where Sam tells Charlie that you need to you need to love someone not not for them, but also for yourself. Like you can't he she tells him you can't put me on a pedestal and overthink every single thing you do. You you need to do it in the moment and you need to do it not just for me, but do it for yourself. And especially with Mary Elizabeth and that relationship that he does everything for her. He'll sit there for hours listening to her talk, but he doesn't think about what he wants and how he wants to feel in a relationship. And I think I just want to give Charlie a hug and just tell him that he's loved. The thing you said about Sam, I think that's the perfect moment of the antithesis to the manic pixie dream girl trope like she's actively working against that like the entire film she's quite I mean the book I feel is a better portrayal of her being a self-assured person who knows what she wants sure she has setbacks like failing on her SATs and then having to go back but she commits to it and then the fact that she's a lot more grown up than the rest of us when she decides I'm going to go talk to my boyfriend who cheated on me for the past few years and I'm going to end it cleanly and I thought that was really admirable and I 100% agree Charlie needs a hug can we start a hashtag? Hashtag give Charlie a hug or please. hashtag give Logan Lerman a hug. I mean, yes, uh, yes, please. I would log- hug Logan Lerman till the end of days. But yeah, I agree that Sam is a very inspirational character. And I think one thing I've noticed reading reviews and just talking to people about Perks, the film, is that Sam doesn't get the kind of love and the appreciation that she actually deserves as a character. And that's purely, I think, because of Emma Watson. Now, Emma Watson's a brilliant actress. Like, I don't mind that they changed her appearance. And, like, if anything, it adds to the wallflower image. It's her accent, I think, that 
she brings to this role that she drops in and out of it that she almost makes Sam look like a Joe on the film whereas in the book Sam is this as you said this assured this woman who knows what she wants she's almost like the, the glue that holds together the wallflowers and it's quite sad that is that she doesn't get the appreciation she deserves in the film and I do think for me that's because Emma Watson's accent was just a mess and it just ruined the character. In the book she kind of gives off this girl boss energy whereas in the film it's kind of a bit too spontaneous and go with the flow. Fun fact the reason why uh, Chabotsky cast Emma Watson is because of her crying in Harry Potter. Oh imagine being cast because you're a good crier. I get what you. That's why I was cast in the next Fast and Furious film. (laughs) No more Fast and Furious films, please. But yeah, I I get what you what you're saying that she's. I don't want to say flimsy, but she feels just really flimsy as a character in the film, and almost too obsessed with Charlie. It the scene that comes to mind is the end one where she's watching him as he stands up in the truck, and you can see that she's absolutely in love with him. And I'm I'm just thinking, no, you book Sam wasn't like head over heels in love with Charlie book Sam loved Charlie but book Sam had other aspirations and other other things to care about whereas film Sam just kind of gets lost within Charlie yeah in the book at the end Charlie and Sam don't kiss do they no I don't think they do in, in the film they do kiss and I felt I was really out of place and I'll be honest I never really got the chemistry between Logan Lerman and Emma Watson whereas in the film I did see it was definitely more one-sided Charlie being in love with Sam I guess in a similar way to how Charlie loves Patrick and I think the book does a lot better job of embracing even potential bisexuality from Charlie and how he he says Patrick and Sam you're my two favourite people and rather than in the film he gives all his books to Sam he gives them to both Sam and Patrick and I thought that was a really good example of showing even if they're maybe not romantically involved they are definitely plutonic lovers to the end of time yeah 100% I definitely think Charlie in the film is a lot bolder and funnier and stronger than he appears in the book and I think that's primarily because we don't we're not stuck in his head throughout the entire film and actually get to see him interact with Patrick and Sam but I definitely think that the relationship between Patrick and Charlie in the book is kind of missing from the film and maybe that's even seen at the Christmas party when he doesn't give the poem to Patrick like he gives it to him in the book but it's not there in the film and that like heart-wrenching poem is so important I think that we have these two men discussing how they feel and being open to give a poem that open and that emotional to another friend another male friend is really important and it's just missing from the film yeah i 100 percent agree that really embodies the beautifulness of these wallflowers as a group like they are completely understanding and encompassing of all there's mary elizabeth buddhism uh the fact that i can't remember her name but she still was jeans uh uh patrick's uh B- patrick being gay and just e- everyone has their thing and they love each other despite their quirks. And I think that's how we should all love each other, just in embracing our quirks. And that also kind of, well, one of my least favourite parts of both the book and film is one book is very cringy, and also the immediate aftermath of uh, Charlie kissing Sam instead of Mary Elizabeth when asked, kiss the prettiest girl here. And while it, you can see how Charlie thought it was an easy get out of this situation, he didn't think of the situation. It's kind of so awkward because it's so relatable in the fact he made a dumb choice and it's not like he did something like oh I'm gonna drop this axe when the murderer is following me type thing it's genuinely because he's a dumb teenager who did the wrong thing but it's the immediate aftermath of that which I really don't like of how they all just shun him out he's a he's a wallflower and they just all the other wallflowers moved across from the wall a bit and it's just they're just leaving him to his own devices when they've learned who he is and how fragile it or not fragile i mean support how much support he needs as a person and he just isn't being given that by the people who say that they love him and they just don't give him what he needs yeah that's probably the worst bit i hate like the, the worst bit in the book and the film that i kind of always say i hate this bit because mary elizabeth and charlie is such a toxic relationship on both sides in that Mary Elizabeth just constantly, constantly talks and never, it's not a two-sided relationship, never asks Charlie his opinion. 
but Charlie never cuts it off and never tells her that he's not interested and he just lets it keep going and letting her kind of get attached and then when Patrick says like kiss the prettiest woman like girl in the room which like come on Patrick why did you why did you do that like such a stupid thing to do I can kind of see why why he'd kiss Sam because he wants to be truthful to who he is and then when they cut him off, it just feels, again, like a huge betrayal. And at the end of the day, they, they justify it because what Mary Elizabeth and Sam are really close friends. But is Charlie not one of these wallflowers now? Is he not part of this friendship? And should we not, should we not like protect our own even when they make stupid mistakes and it's it's really disheartening to read charlie say like charlie's perspective after that event and realize that he's kind of lost the people that he found found friendship and found a home in and then it almost feels shitty for sam to just accept him back in after he protected patrick in the school like we know you know that charlie cares for you and you know that he's he's there for you why are you only now accepting him in why didn't you accept him in when he made that mistake with Mary Elizabeth I I 100% agree Charlie is a very passive person to begin with and that's why he stuck in the relationship with Mary Elizabeth for as long as he did and the first opportunity he makes to make it he has to make a proactive choice he immediately gets pushed back and he retreats back into himself like a turtle being punched and then retreating back into its shell he isn't wanted be open often and as soon as he is the people he loves and trusts most immediately fight back and I do think it's a really big testament to Charlie's how pure his love is one his relationship with his aunt and how despite the sexual assault he still loves her and also all his friends shunning him away as soon as Patrick who hasn't been a good friend he's been dealing with his own stuff and not really paying Charlie much mind as soon as he's in trouble with all the bullies and Brad Charlie doesn't even hesitate he just walks into the middle of a fight and throws a punch and I think that's just a perfect description of who Charlie is he's a selfless caring beautiful human being he's also a ninja like he full-on beat those guys up like who knew i need a like a cutout scene of just logan lerman going full john wick on these falls of a dinner plate (laughs) we love to see it who would you say is your favorite character in the book and does it remain the same in the film everyone always says that if you pick the main character you're not very original and like that's 100 true if it's harry potter but then no one picks harry potter because he's stupid Honestly, I'm going to have to say Charlie for both the book and the film. The book, because I relate to him as a character so much from my own anxiety and worries and how he, 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 I just love him as a character. You want to give him a hug 24-7. And I think Logan Lerman does such a fantastic job of portraying all the great parts about him and then also giving him a bit more life in the film than in the book. And I think that's, it makes it a really enjoy. He makes for a really enjoyable character to watch. What about you? I think I'd go the same in that the book, book Charlie holds a special place in my heart purely because when you're reading his perspective, you feel for him and you want to hug him and you want to protect him. And similarly, I found myself in Charlie as a teenager growing up in terms of his anxiety and his worries. And then I, I, you know, I'm a massive fan of Logan Lerman. Like he's a, just a God, like, literally in the Percy Jackson films but also just in general and but I kind of want to say Bill in the film because one like Paul Rudd Dilf but also Bill's the the teacher that I kind of hoped that I would have would have had growing up like I I had teachers that inspired me to study English literature and such but I never had the extent to which Charlie finds in Bill in that kind of expanding him to go beyond just what they're teaching and I think Paul Rudd does a brilliant job of bringing that teacher side to it but also that personal side where where Charlie can feel safe and can feel at home in his office and in his home who'd have thought we'd be here not me (laughs) but yeah it's I 100% agree I think Bill is such a he's the the perfect match for Charlie's heart of gold he's the he's the refill tank to some extent and I, I kind of love the fact that he's they show a teacher unsure of what the future is going to be. Like he doesn't know if he wants to be a playwright back in New York or if he wants to stay being a teacher. And he's like, what's going to happen? I, I 100% thought when I was rereading that he actually did go to uh, New York again. And that was part of the reason why Charlie started sparring. But, but that didn't happen. And I thought that was a nice twist. 
I guess, a self-inflicted twist that he he was able to stay. He got superpowers and became Ant-Man. He did. He became very, very small. But he <laughs> remained very large in our hearts. <laughs> oh! I think Ezra Miller, while maybe not very good offset, he did a really good job of portraying Patrick's extrovertness and just being the really fun, uh, lovable... I, wouldn't, I don't want to say sidekick, but kind of comedy relief with a personal story of his own, which is really nice when you have, especially after uh, Black Widow, which we both recently saw, uh, how that had the Red Guardian, who was literally just there for comedy relief. It's nice to have the comedy, but beneath that, a really interesting and emotional character and fun fact uh ezra miller actually auditioned for the role over skype and he was given the role within five hours oh my god wow testament to his my amazing ability to act under any pressure yeah i agree ezra miller has great comedic timing like he's so so funny especially in the woodshop classrooms and he brings the personality to a character i think We've only really known through Charlie's eyes and we don't really get much humour coming across on the page that we do in the film. Like, I think we've said this before, that film does a lot better at doing the comedy and the humour. And I think that's a great testament to Ezra Miller in this film. Although I do, since finding out that Ezra Miller strangled one of his fans, I'm kind of about him. He's far from my favourite actor and his mannerisms behind said definitely do a disservice to his talent and i'm not a huge fan but what you were saying about how uh, the film has advantages over the book in how it portrays the humor i feel that's in part to do with charlie is an awkward person who is writing in the past tense and it's like when you're trying to tell a story to a friend, it's not as funny as when you're in the moment. And I think that's perfectly portrayed through the film because you're in that moment with them. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think both book and film have a really honest, beautiful kind of dialogue to them. A testament to Chabowski's talent as a writer, but the, the visuals of the film and the living in the present moment, watching it play out allows it to be much more honest but also much more humorous and more comedic yeah Chabosky did a really good job of writing the screenplay and the dialogue because it was so back and forth and natural for such a for like a teen stories like this yeah like just going off dialogue and like language one thing I really liked about the book is how linguistically like you notice Charlie's language getting better the more that as the book progresses like as he writes more essays and as he reads more books you can see the development in the writing style that Chabowski uses for Charlie's first person perspective and I think that kind of parallels how he grows as a person throughout the book and it's yeah I think it's something special that the book has that can never really be adapted onto the film. I never really registered that, but I'm definitely going to have to go back and read that and just see. Yeah, it's like the sentences become longer and even his vocabulary is a lot more complex. And I think probably because I've been doing a lot of close reading of language for my degree at the moment, but I definitely noticed it this read read, read along and I was like, yeah, this is quite a, a complex way of showing Charlie's growth. That's really cool. And it's just a testament to how talented of a writer Chabosky really is 100% what would you say is your favorite scene in book and film uh I'm gonna say when Charlie's first in Bill's classroom and Bill's asking all these questions and he's uh, he starts off with the comedic thing about you guys don't have to do a quiz and he's just immediately sets himself out as the cool teacher and then you can just kind of see a spark in Bill when he sees Charlie writing the answers down he's like okay this is a clever kid who's trapped in a shell. I can't wait to crank him out of it. And it's, yeah. it just, it's just like, I, I'm excited to see where these two go. Yeah, that's awesome. You? I think one of my favourites is the Christmas party um, when they're all like drinking the brandy and exchanging the gifts. And Sam takes Charlie to her room to gift the typewriter, but also the bit where um, Patrick says, 
yeah, I, I got you the suit, like God put the jacket on and he comes out and he just says, that's what a writer looks like. It's the moment where I think you realise that all of these people understand Charlie and Charlie understands them through each of the gifts that he gives them that are so personal. I think it's so special to find that in a friendship and to understand your friends in a way that whatever you gift them, you know it's going to matter to them and it's going to have sense of meaning. So good. And the whole bit with like them circle around each other, it's like the ideal friendship you want just you and your friends in a nice safe place together just embracing and understanding I love the I don't remember the guy he does like a lot of drugs in it and he's just like blowing the balls like he knows me he knows me and the fact that Charlie's comfortable enough to go out there and directly insult Mary Elizabeth in a in an endearing way and it's just they're just a bit of witty banter and just back and forth love I just love when he's like I want a milkshake like and it just keeps repeating that he wants a milkshake and then Sam's like okay we'll get you a milkshake oh get this boy a milkshake the little cutie another fun fact about perks of being a wallflower uh when Chabotsky was trying to convince Emma Watson to be a part of the film uh, he told it would be a role of a lifetime for her and he might they might she might not get as much money as overall she would get because she's hot off the press from uh Harry Potter and was hot shit and <laughs> but she was told that she would remember the summer for the rest of her life and form long-lasting friendships with both cast and crew and I think that's so you can see that they just had so much fun making this film and it's just it's a very heartfelt story and it's not like a big marvel blockbuster or fast and furious family montage it's a close family montage and it's just like you can feel like this has been what 12 years in the making since now 13 years since Chabosky first wrote the book and it's just this is every one of his thoughts it's every one of our thoughts perfectly made into a film from an already really great book. I think that's really interesting that he said to her, this will be like the role of the lifetime, because I do think, although she is remembered as Hermione Granger from Harry Potter, I think Sam is a character that's very different for Emma Watson, and to go from Harry Potter to then go on to do Sam, who is entirely a whole set of skills, is quite talented for Emma Watson, but also quite a leap for Chabowski to be like, yeah, I'm going to put my bets on this actress and she's going to do amazing. And I think he knew he knew what he wanted and he went and got it in his actors and actresses, I think. I think everyone who was a part of this film understood what the key parts of this film were and they all gave 110% into making it what it was. 100%. One of my cool facts is that Chabowski mentions in the film's dvd and blu-ray commentary that the film was heavily influenced by the themes and motifs of dead poet society and the breakfast club um and he said that they were two of his favorite coming of age films growing up and that they formed the basis of his love for the genre of coming of age and i, I didn't know that and then when i read that fact i was like actually i kind of can kind of see the similarities because we have these people in the breakfast club who are so different and unique in their own ways but they form that bond that will last for a lifetime and the same in the dead poet society like that's one of my favorite films and you, we get these boys bonding over literature in the same way we get bill and charlie bonding over literature uh please do not hurt me but i have not seen dead poet society but <laughs> no. i 100 i 100 agree with the uh breakfast club analogy like i can I can easily see how they link with Chabosky. I can see a lot of Charlie and the kind of nerd character in Breakfast Club. Yeah. And how how much he puts pressure on himself and how much he feels like he doesn't deserve the love of his parents through the work he does. And they're, they're just a bunch of misfits who you would never really expect them to work well together, but circumstance brought them all here and they're working against the common enemy, the principal, and it's just, it's just great. Yeah, it's it's really wholesome. And that's even in Dead Poets Society, like I'm very sad that you've not seen that film. It's literally one of the best. Hey, we can cover it soon. Yeah, I'm sure it's based on a book. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. But in, in that we have these boys who want to live for who they are and to seize the day and to kind of live in the moment. And that's what the teacher tells them to. And I think that's all that's in Perks of Being a Wallflower is these characters that are living each day as it comes and each day with each other. And that's I think that's just something really wholesome to watch and to read. I'll be definitely sure to check out Dead Poet Society. You'll and need tissues. I, it will make will, you cry. I will order some tissues. <laughs>
Another kind of fact, but I thought was a really interesting part of this film, is that uh, Chabosky, when writing Poetry Being a Wallflower, he never meant to portray Charlie as being like autistic or depressed or having uh, anxiety. Like, he never, mm. he, like, those are kind of a lot of what people associate Charlie as having. Like, people see a lot of themselves in him of that. But there's when, it, like, he was mo- more going for the trauma maybe of Charlie as a character. It just kind of shows a testament to how relatable Charlie is and how as soon as you open the gates to men's mental health and just mental health in general, how you can relate and become close with each other and really understand who a person is. And I think that's a really good... Uh, for like, there's a show I've been watching recently. It's released a new series called Atypical, and it's about an autistic teen called Sam. And I, I can see a lot of influence from to being a wallflower on that show and I think that's just a great example of how it went from Dead Poke Society and Breakfast Club to Pokes of being a wallflower to atypical and then hopefully it'll go on from there it's just literature and media inspiring literature and media and I think that's fantastic. That's really interesting that he didn't purposefully write Charlie as anxious and like depressed and ADHD because I think it's a testament to how when we open a book we all experience it in our own ways and we all read characters and we read the plot in our own ways and interpret it to how we live our own lives and and I and I I definitely agree that there is similarities between Perks and Atypical it's such a good show I also think even is it the edge of 17 edge of yeah with the uh woman who's going to be in the new Hawkeye show yes yeah yeah I think there's yeah. even influences in that and I think in any coming of age film I think you can see Chabowski's influence and Charlie's influence as well because I think it's one of the most canonical and most classical parts of the genre and I I'd, if I were Chabowski I'd be super proud because He's definitely made a book and a film that we can all relate to and we can all find ourselves in and we can read in ways that he didn't intend, but in ways that are, are good. He's become a, a kind of like a modern day godfather of the coming of age genre. And yeah. anytime you watch a teen drama at a school and there's a misfit, you can see a bit of Chabosky in that. And also when I was reading the book, one of my favorite bits is at the very end is like an author's note, but Chabosky's written it, like he's the one writing it, but in the style of Charlie. And it's just him thanking people and saying that he's grateful people have interpreted the way they have. And I, I love all of you. And then he just ends saying, Charlie's okay. Charlie made it. And it's just like, that's that's the the ending I needed. Because it's been an emotional roller coaster, and just having that happy ending, it just made me just smile when I finished the book. I don't have that in the back of my book, which is really sad. I must have like a earlier printed edition than you. I got it on Kindle. So oh, maybe yeah. I um, I just recently read. Well, I didn't recently read it, but a few months ago, I read um, Red, White, and Royal Blue by. I'm going to butcher her name, but Cassie McQuinston, and she does the same thing in the end note. She says to to the readers, like, if you found yourself in this book, then I'm grateful. And this book was written for you. And this, the people and the characters in this book are for you to become attached to and to see yourself in. And I think that's just something really special from an author to acknowledge their fan base in that way. Yeah, I think a book really has the power to be a lot more personal than a film can, because no matter how per- like a film can portray a certain theme or a person, it's you and a book. It's just you in like in your mind. It's like you're not in a cinema with a bunch of other people. It's just you and a book reading it, and it's just it's a lot of time by yourself with this one thing, and it's and it really helps. Uh, I think it makes a lot of stories really hit harder. Yeah, hundred percent. I definitely think we've both had a really personal relationship with *Perks Being a Wallflower* than we have with the other books we've like explored on this podcast and I think I'm 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 forever grateful to Chbosky for writing that book and for me finding a home within it and even more grateful for him for creating such a brilliant adaptation and me being able to continually go back to the adaptation and just enjoy watching it yeah absolutely like to some extent Chbosky's and film and book have helped me come out of my shell a bit as a person it's He's just, I love the book and I love the film and I love the author and the director and the writer and <laughs> the producer. 
You just admit your love for Chabosky. <laughs> I love you, Chabosky. <laughs> so on that note, would you say book or film? Uh, I'm going to say the book because it's a lot more of a personal top tale. Yes, it may be a bit harder to get through like emotionally wise, but it's it's just it covers all the bases for me. It's a, it's got humor, it's got emotion, it's got I really want to read more books which are written in the style of just letters to you because it really helped me feel like I was the person Charlie was writing to and I could interpret it however I liked. What about you, Lucy? I think I'm going to go with the film on this one. I love the book, but I think personally, because I've always gone back to the film way more times than I have the book. Like, I think I've only read the book three times, whereas I've watched, I can't, I can't, honestly can't keep count of the amount of times I've watched the film. I think I find myself having more of a personal connection to the visual adaptation. And I think it captures like the ache and the, the grandeur of like growing up in the suburbs and I was really happy to see the likes of Bill and Patrick and Sam fleshed out I think if anything I'd only pick the book because I'm sad to see some of the literature and the poetry go like go missing that's not in the film and if I say the film then maybe Logan Lerman will love me back I mean I definitely won't say I hate the film the film is amazing and I will watch that anytime someone asks me to well violent enthusiasm you could have done but Prime took it off. <laughs> so Actually, I managed to watch it just before it came off Prime. So suck it, Jeffrey Bezos. I think that once again brings us to the end of the page and to the credits. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to let us know what you thought of Post Being a Wallflower, be it book or film, on our Twitter at From Page to Pick and our Instagram from page to picture. Join us next time as we discuss Louisa May Alcott's Little Women and the 2019 film adaptation by Greta Gerwig. Love always, Lucy and George.